as we uh, get back into the book of uh, Romans, I almost said book of John, we were just talking over here about the Gospel of John that Tim Skarin has been uh, going through with us, and I would assume we'll continue this morning for the service. be good to have them here. So uh, we'll go to Romans chapter 3, verse 21. And uh, my plan was to, was to probably go through uh, chapter 4 or 2, but that's not going to happen. Just, uh, I uh, said early in our uh, lessons about all the definitions of words, and you can, you can really get bogged down in defining words and trying to differentiate words. But th- I think there are times when definitions are good, so we're going to be looking for some help from you folks on um, on uh, achieving that today. As uh, Paul writes uh, here in chapter 3, verse 21, and let's, uh, let's pray first now that everything's kind of quieted down, and then we'll, uh, we'll get into the lesson. Father, we do thank you. We thank you for this day and for the time you allow us to gather together. We thank you, Lord, for your word and how precious it is to us And, Lord, how uh, uh, we should probably all spend more time in your word as we uh, learn of you and your plan for us. And we thank you for the book of Romans and the doctrinal book that it is. And, uh, Lord, there's so much uh, encompassed in Romans. And we thank you for that. We just ask you to give us uh, clarity of speech, clarity of mind today to receive your word and that we would all apply it to our hearts we pray you'll be with our pastor and his family as uh, they are in different parts of the country, uh, seeing relatives and returning uh, youngsters to uh, uh, college. And we just pray you'll bless them. We pray for all our college students that have gone back and are going back, that you'd bless them richly in their studies and that they would uh, see this as a part of their life that you have ordained for them. And we ask now you bless us as we study together. In Jesus' name, amen. So when we look at Romans um, 3.21, and uh, I think uh, we, what we see here is Paul has, it, it's kind of rare to see so much theology packed into six verses. But that's what these six verses are that Paul, and we could, we could spend a lesson time on every word that is listed there the specialty of words that he has. And this section is, uh, is, is tied, remember when we were in chapter 1, verses 6 and 17? And uh, those two verses, uh, in a very short uh, sentence or, or two, Paul uh, gives us the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's writing to a church. And as he always does when he writes to churches, as well as, uh, as, well as the other apostles, um, there come with that the encouragement, the blessing, uh, the encouragement that church may be to them or to others in the faith. But there also comes uh, the caution and the gospel and the need to give the gospel because you're not going to have everybody in a church that is saved. You have those who are saved. You have those that may think they're saved. Uh, you have those that are visiting and, and like the church, the music maybe, the, the, the pastor, etc. 
but are still in need of salvation. So we, we assume that in every class session, at least I do, that that's an important element to understand the, the gospel. And it may be given in a short tense, it may be given in a long sermon when pastor preaches through verse by verse. Uh, we come to those kind of situations. But here Paul is tying back to verse 17. If you remember in uh, 17, verse 17, he says, the just shall live by faith, or the just out of their faith shall live. And then he goes right into the wrath of God. It's a real change. And what he's doing, I think, is he's, he's explaining to the Romans, okay, here's why the gospel is important. Here's why everybody needs the gospel. And he goes to the next 63 verses talking about the wrath of God in one form or another and the need that man has. And he gives some in the verse 18 through, I think, like uh, um, uh, 16 or, so, or something like that, 15 or 16. He, um, he really gives, it's, it's more, it's in the 20s. He really gives a description, if you remember, of mankind. And in there, he talks about the truth being suppressed. So what he's identifying is that all mankind knew the truth. They either knew it through the written word or they knew it through creation. And then he, t- he talks about how people exchanged. They exchanged. Three times they exchanged. Man exchanged what God had given them for something that satisfied their flesh, is what it amounts to. And in each of those three times, he also says God gave them over, or God gave them up to the desires of their heart because they rebelled against God. So he goes through that whole exposition on the wrath of God and why, it was ne- why the wrath of God is necessary, but also why salvation is necessary. Now here, in verse 21, he returns to what he gave us in, in uh, verse, one, or, uh, verse 16 and 17 in chapter 1 concerning the gospel. So he's, 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 making, he's making these uh, connections, and he, it, when, the way he writes sometimes kind of reminds me of those of you who have heard Doug Bookman. Doug Bookman will, will, uh, will label a, a, a something that he wants to teach on, and then he'll say, but, here. And then he goes on these, we call them rabbit trails. Well, the good thing with Doug, he always comes back to him. Well, Paul's the same way here. He went on an exposition on on the wrath of God and the need for the wrath of God and thus the need for salvation, now he's coming back to that topic of salvation. And he, he, he does that here um, uh, concerning the good news of the gospel. Remember we, we said the gospel, that means good news, the good news. And we saw in chapter 1 and verse 16 and 17 that each of those, each of those words that, that Paul used there he never used the word Jesus Christ until late. Well, let's turn there real quick. Chapter 1, verse 16. I'm relying too much on memory here. But he said that he was not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to one who believes, the Jew first and the Greek. For in it the righteousness, and if you remember, we're going to hit that again today, the righteousness there was talking, and I think Doug Bookman is right, it's talking about the righteous character of God. The righteous character of God is revealed. Well, how is it revealed? It's revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. And it says from faith, and the NIV, I think, has it right there, from faith first to last. From the very first people, Adam and Eve, 
to whoever is the last people on this earth before uh, Jesus comes back, they're saved by faith. And they're saved by faith in what was revealed because of God's righteous character. And he revealed Jesus Christ as the object of our faith. And then he went on and said, the righteous shall live by faith, or the just shall live by faith. We'll be covering that a little bit more again today. And, uh, or the just out of his faith shall live. In other words, um, the saved person, if a person's truly saved in some way or manner, they are going to express that in how they live. That's a good, that's a good thing for us to do in checking if we be in the faith. Is how, how, are, how is our life expressing our salvation? How is our life expressing the righteousness of God? And we know it's never perfect. It's never perfect for any of us. But a church is made up of a body of people who are designed by God to mesh together, to get along. All the different, you know, we used to talk about that in the early days of the church, you know, uh, Brother Lyle back there, we'd have those topics and say, Man, you know, you look at all the different people we even had in the, in the early days of the church in the 70s and early 80s, they would never be found together in life except by the grace of God bringing them together in a church. There was all different kinds of positions they held or status from different parts of, parts of the country. You know, I remember Lyle was from Iowa and Eileen was from Pennsylvania. Well, it was... You know, even before they were saved, it was God's grace that brought them together. And they became one in marriage, but then they come here uh, because of work situations, and all of a sudden they're brought together as one in the body of Christ. That's why Paul is so crucial to remind people, in a, if there's an offense, you take care of it. You take care of it. You make it right. Why? Because there shouldn't be any kind of division in the, in the body of Christ. We're all one. And it should show out in our work. So that's what he gave us in chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. Now we come to uh, verse 21 here, and we're going to read these, these six verses. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, we, we, we use that you know, verse there, uh, chapter 3, verse 23, and we have it in our Bible school, memories, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But he's saying there there's no distinction amongst people. That's something for, for us to be very careful that we remember. And they are justified by his grace as a gift from, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, is that a mouthful? You know, I think there's at least 12 distinct words there that we could probably do a lesson on. It's, uh, it, it's just amazing. And that's why I was going to go so much faster today, and I thought, no, wait, Grant, we can't do that. You know, John asked me last uh, week, he said, how come 
every time we have a teacher get up here, he's talking about we have to, we have to hurry through the lesson. Well, because we try to design four 13-week lessons in a year to get through the Bible. And sometimes it doesn't work. And uh, he said, I wish we could take more time. Well, uh, pastor does that when he preaches. And he'll be preaching through Romans, uh, I would think, fairly soon. I know he's going to Revelation after Isaiah, so it'll be a while. But So in here, Paul gives 12 words that I saw in these verses that could be lessons of their own. But remember the words righteousness, justify, and just. Remember they have the same root word. So they came from the same root word, but there's little differences in how they're used. And we're going to see some of that today. The other thing we, have, we see here in this uh, initial verse is he says that God's righteousness was manifested apart from the law. Now, one, what does manifested mean? What, is it, what does it mean when you see the word Manifested. Made apparent, okay. Anybody else? To demonstrate or show? Any other words? Anybody has over here? Established. Established, okay. And I think it's manifested, it's made clear, it's made apparent. It's it's shown in a clear in a clear way. And it's either shown through a sign or by actions. You know, so God was manifested in whom? In Jesus Christ. He was manifested in his son, Jesus Christ. And here he says his, the righteousness of God was manifested. But there's, there's two th- things that he says here. I think Paul shows us what we could say is a discontinuity. And then he shows a continuity. Because he said it's manifested what? What's the next words? Apart from the law. Now, I, I take a minute on that, because then he goes back and he says, although the law and the prophets bear witness of it. Because in, when you start to read commentaries, and then you, re, you read how some of the, the different Bibles... Now, does anybody have something different there than, than the, that wording? But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Okay, revealed instead of manifested? Okay. Anybody else have something different? Because in some versions, it starts like this. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God is shown. And that's caused some problems that, that they, they take that and they just completely separate it. And they kind, of, they kind of push the whole law aside as of no value or no use. In, uh, in this day and age. And I don't think that's what Paul had in mind here, and I don't think that's what uh, God would have us look at it. But I think what Paul does here, he captures the discontinuity and con- continuity of the Old Testament. In the discontinuity, it's God's salvation plan, so God reveals his righteousness apart from the law. Why? Because, do you remember in Mark 2.22... I'm going, to, I'm going to go there. I was going to try and remember all this stuff, and you know what? I just, I just couldn't get it done. So Mark 2.22, he talks about something that I think um, references this. 
as far as the meaning that Paul has here. And he's talking here in Mark uh, chapter 2, he's talking about John's disciples and the Pharisees and their fasting, and uh, wondered why Jesus' disciples didn't fast. And he goes in verse 20, he says, The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it. The new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And then verse 22, he says here that, uh, and the, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. What's he talking about there? You know, in the terms of the wine, he's talking about putting new wine in old wineskin. When that ferments and it kind of expands, the seams are going to are going to break, and and you're going to you're going to lose the wine. But I think I think that's what we see here with Paul. He's saying the Old Testament law, and he's talking apart from it's manifested apart from because the Old Testament law, the New Testament salvation that we have in Jesus Christ would not fit in that wineskin. It would, it would absolutely destroy it. He's, he, we've seen that through and through with Paul, and we saw it in Galatians, where he talks about the fact the law failed. The law could not save anybody. The law is what is in that old wineskin. And now we're going to be manifested apart from that because the new, the, what's new in Jesus Christ will absolutely overwhelm the old. It's far greater. It's far better. And that's why he comes back with that discontinuity, and he comes back to a continuity, because the Mosaic Law uh, just can't be contained in what we put the gospel in. And he says the law and the prophets bear witness to it. So everything in the Old Testament, remember I've said this many times, the Old Testament and the New is revealed, but the New Testament and the Old is concealed. You can't read the Old Testament and see the New, but you you read the New Testament, you see the Old all over it. It's far greater. It's far greater. So this continuity, the continuity of the Old Testament, testifies of the New, the work of God in Christ. God's intention from the beginning was to reveal his righteousness Remember his righteous character. Now, there's different places. Right, just a second. Righteousness will be, be will be a little different definition. But God reveals His righteous character in His Son Jesus Christ. Have you ever seen God? Nobody has. Nobody has. But we know of His Son, a historical fact, and that's how God's righteousness is revealed. Right. Right, and this is a continuation from everything he's had. I understand that. Yeah. So there's a continuity here that God is showing of His righteousness and how it's expressed in His Son. It's revealed in Jesus Christ. So 
From there, we're going to concentrate on three words today, and that'll be it. The word forbearance, the word propitiation, and the word just or justifier. Now, I pick those because those are not as common a words that we see uh, given in Scripture, but I think they're important for us to at least get a handle on because it, it's going to help us through the rest of Romans. So, propitiation, we'll do that first in verse 25. Now, back in verse 24, he said, uh, leading up to this, by his grace as a gift. You know, we, we know that God's grace is a gift. It, it's all that God does in our behalf, uh, and it's done freely and without any compulsion. That's God's grace. You know, God's grace is evident today in the, the fact that we have you know, daylight and the sunshine and whatever else that we want to look at is all a result of God's grace. God's grace is evident in the fact that we're here. We're here as a group. He has brought us together. It's by God's grace that we're brought together. we got the couple from Florida that have been with us. Now, this will be uh, the fourth service in uh, eight days. Because <laughs> they were here, when, actually fifth, if you want to call it the senior luncheon. But that's God's grace. He brought them together with us for a purpose and that's why it's important for us to recognize. And God's grace here, he says, was a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. So it's God's grace. If you're here today and you don't know for sure if you're saved, there's a question mark in your mind. God's grace is being extended to you that his salvation is a gift given to you in the person of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. The other thing he had there was redemption, the sense of liberating by paying a price. Now, where did we study that not too long ago in a class that I had? Hosea, remember that? Remember Hosea's wife, Gomer? And how God used uh, Hosea's family as an example of what he saw in Israel, the ten northern tribes, and the finger pointed across to Judah when he says, uh, you know, that Ephraim has gone to idols, leave him alone. He warned Judah, but they didn't listen. And the warning on Israel, the ten northern tribes, and his wife was, was left him and went out into prostitution, and this went on I don't know how long. Uh, it, was, it was for, I would say, a considerable time. And then, as she got older, guess what? She became just a common, lowly slave and God told uh, Hosea to go and redeem her. Go and buy her back. And he bought her back for the price of the lowliest slaves. Brought her home, got her situated again in his home, reconciled their marriage, and went on. And that's, that was an example that God was given. Israel is going to be cast, and we know that now for a fact, uh, the northern tribes in 722, the southern tribes in 605, uh, in three stages, and they were, they were taken into uh, submission by enemy uh, governments. The northern tribes to be dispersed. The southern tribe, though, was kept contained. And God brought them back. They were ransomed back. They, they came back. And they'll ultimately ransom Israel in the kingdom. In the tribulation, I believe, as Israel's is brought back together. But that's the picture of Hosea and Gomer. Well, here, that same thing is there for God. God served up his son to ransom us. 
So propitiation. Anybody have an idea what propitiation means? Doug. Okay. Anybody else? There's, there's something that our mainline churches have lost. Um, when Margaret's uh, mother passed away, uh, we went to church that she'd been in her whole life, pretty much. And um, I knew when I go to funerals, I always look through hymnals to see what the kind of songs they have. And in most of those, mainline, you will not find anything on the blood. Did you have your hand up? Yeah. yeah. Okay, propitiation. I'm sorry, I didn't see your hand there, maybe the first time, Dan. But the songs concerning blood are pretty much taken out of the mainline denominations. But guess what song, song Margaret wanted for her mom that was an old standard, the old rugged cross. And the gal we were working with, whom we know quite well, she said, oh yeah, well that's in here. I said, no, it's not. I, I was checked in your hymnal. It's not in, well, then she said it must be in the previous hymnal we had. They'd bought new hymnals like 10 years ago or something. She went back in the old hymnal. It wasn't in there either. And they had it in sheet music. But my point is this. In the mainline denominations, you're seeing anything to deal with wrath removed. The blood is removed. The cross is removed. And they want to sing about, they want everything about grace. There was a pastor out east that we knew uh, uh, that... Every sermon he had was about grace, 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 grace. There's nothing wrong with grace, but there's other things, and one of them is the wrath of God. And propitiation is this. It is averting the wrath of God. What we saw in chapter 1, verse 18, through chapter 3, 10, all concerning the wrath of God. The wrath of God is real. We need to understand the wrath of God. And how it's expressed. Now, we got historical facts of how it's expressed, but ultimately, how is it, how is it expressed? Are you going to say something? Well, I saw your revelation, or in hell. Eternal condemnation. So, when he uses the word propitiation here, put forward as a propitiation by his blood. That's the cross, and that's the blood of Jesus. And that's important. We, we need to understand that. Synonyms of, that, of, a, of a propitiation would be appease or pacify, placate. But where were the offerings done in the Old Testament to satisfy Israel's sin? Where was the offering done? Pardon? On the altar. On the altar. And the once a year in the Holy of Holies, we'll concentrate on that. We know there was sacrifices daily. But in the, in once a year in the Holy of Holies, they would go in, the, the high priest would go in. Now in the Septuagint, um, the, the Greek translation uh, of Hebrew for Old Testament, uh, it used it for a reference to the atonement cover or the mercy seat. So you have the Ark of the Covenant that's contained, and it's got the, the, the Ten Commandments and and a couple other things that I don't recall off the top of my head. But above that, you have the mercy seat, or the atonement seat, if you will. For what? For the propitiation 
of their sins. To avoid the wrath of God, that was covered with blood. That's a picture of the covering that was needed, the covering of blood that was needed, but didn't satisfy in the Old Testament completely. It always pointed towards a future, a future incident of the, of the blood of Christ, but it covers that mercy seat, and that gives a propitiation. It avenges Israel, and they escape the wrath of God, which he could have pronounced on them right there. That's the picture here. God's wrath is, is pictured for us in the crucifixion of Jesus. He gave, remember, he gave up his son. Remember the song, 10,000 angels? Well, he could have called 10 million angels to destroy the world and set us free. But he didn't do that. He suffered the wrath of God on the cross of Calvary for us, and his bloodshed is our covering. So when God looks at us, if, uh, if John was... Well, if John was, well, no, we have to go back. I'm sorry. If, if, uh, if uh, Gina was God the Father, John is Jesus Christ, and I'm the sinner approaching, God sees me only through him and his shed blood. His shed blood covering the mercy seat that was given in the Old Testament on the altar was called, in some places, an atonement cover. So that's, that's the, the propitiation of God's wrath. So Paul here alludes to the, the fact that the central item in Israel's history was that, was that mercy seat and that altar that Christ in the, on the cross now takes care of the people's sin. He propitiates for both Jew and Gentile. Now, there's another word some use uh, of expiation instead of propitiation. But the one thing about expiation, it's an accurate term, and it, it, it shows the wiping away of sin, but it gives no allusion to the fact of the wrath of God. So whether you want to use expiation or propitiation, it's, it's one and all, because propitiation takes care of that, because it alludes to the wrath of God. Yeah, Mike. Yeah, it's it's a redemption, it's a ransom. It isn't just that the cross is horrible, And this word that we're talking about, propitiation, is only used a couple times in the New Testament, but it's several times in different ways, including atonement cover in the Old Testament. So propitiation is important for us to at least have a mental understanding that it exists and that it deals with avenging the wrath of God or averting the wrath of God, uh, taking it away. And that's what Jesus did. The second word is forbearance. What does forbearance mean? Anybody have an idea? I see Adam's on his phone here. Maybe he's going to come up with something for us. Yeah, I thought you were looking it up, which, is, which would be good. But forbearance... 
What does forbearance mean? Forbearance means refraining from enforcing something due. In other words, it's, an ex, it's, it's, it's a patience or long-suffering. It would be like our children, and they do something wrong, and you say, you know, you absolutely, you absolutely need to be disciplined for this. But I'm going to forbear for now. But if it happens again, the discipline will be double. Because I forbear the first one. I, I set it aside. And that's what God has, has done for us here. He has left a period of time because of insufficient means of satisfying his wrath and righteousness. And, and because of that, it says he forbear. Look at the wording there. His, his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. Well, God's character does not allow him to pass over sins or forget them. His character doesn't allow that. His righteous glory doesn't allow that. And remember, if you think of glory, uh, the first thing I think about, the whole theme of the Bible from cover to cover is God's glory. That, that, that is, that's my take. It's God's glory. It's God's glory, and it's on an exhibition for us to see and how important that is it, with his righteous character. So he cannot, for, he cannot just pass away and say, oh, I'll, we'll, we'll forget that sin. That doesn't happen. It doesn't happen with us either. That God just, just stiff arms and says, we won't worry about that. But in forbearance, he set it aside for a period of time until his wrath could be satisfied. His wrath could not be satisfied by the blood of, of bulls and goats and, and uh, lambs. He couldn't be satisfied by that. So it, it took something else. And his righteous character in verse 17, remember, was revealed. Well, how was it revealed? It was revealed in Jesus Christ. And it goes back to what the what we just talked about with Christ suffering on the cross. So his righteous character. Um, Diki Osini, Diki Osini is the word for the righteousness of God and how that righteousness, uh, in his righteousness, he forbears sin for a time until there was an absolute, complete sacrifice to satisfy all the Old Testament sacrifices. And his, uh, his, uh, he became our mercy seat. His blood flowed, and he became our mercy seat. The last one is just and justifier in verse 26. It was to show his righteousness at the present time. That's, that was now for them, after Jesus' crucifixion, so that he might be just, but he's also the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And just or justifier, it's the same root word as righteousness, but the legal term here would be set something right in a relational term. That's between God and man, it can be between man and man, it can be between man and natural uh, revelation, but it's a set it right. He's the just and justifier. Any issue that we have with God, between God and us needs to be set right. Well, it's set right in Jesus Christ. Any issue we have between us here, any people here, needs to be set right. And God is the justifier. He, he, his desire is to have that set right in an, and do it in a, in a proper way, in a biblical way. That's, that's what just or justifier means. And here, he's not only the just God, but he is the justifier in the person of Jesus Christ, in his crucifixion. So those three words... I think are, are rather important for us to at least have a handle on. 
The, the fact that Jesus was a propitiation, he satisfied the wrath of God, so the wrath of God was averted. The fact that Jesus Christ satisfied all the Old Testament, God forbear the sins there. Yes, they did, they did what they, they, they were supposed to do, the, the sacrifices. They were supposed to be obedient. We know what happened there. Many times they had to be judged for disobedience. But it satisfied all those Old Testament sacrifices that were done with a right heart. Remember that earlier, the righteousness of God dealt with the heart, not just the activity that was exhibited outside or exhibited to man, but the heart. God judges the heart. And he then justifies us in that sense. And these six verses, that's what Paul is combining there to give us and to give the Roman church that he had never seen. So Christ satisfied God's justice. And that's and the wrath of God. So consequently, God can justify sinners by his wrath being poured out on Jesus. That goes back to what was uh, said over here. And is not compromised, and, and his justice is not compromised because he, we stand righteous with Jesus. So he not only, he's, he's not only, he's not only just in how he does that, but he's a justifier in that he makes us Look righteous through Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful thing. Now the rest of this, uh, these verses, I want you just to look in verse 27 on. I want you just to look at the the questions that Paul is asking here. And then we'll talk about it next week because actually it's explained in chapter 4. What becomes of our boasting or bragging? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, that's what he just went through with those 12 words to explain it's not by works. No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one. He will justify the circumcised by faith. He will justify the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by his faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. So that goes back in our first lesson. I said that faith and obedience are synergistic. We can define them separately, but they don't don't show up out separately in our, in our lives. If you say we have faith in Jesus Christ, then our works are going to testify of that. Not that you're saved by your works, but what you do should carry out. Now, in this room this morning, every one of us, every one of us here, uh, God blessed, first of all, with life. Then God blessed by revealing the gospel to us. Hopefully everybody here has, has received Jesus Christ, John 1.12, in the gospel. But he also gave everyone here gifts. And where does he want those gifts used? In the world? Pardon? To reach on saved? But he, what's the institution that God uh, created for this dispensation, this time? The church. The church. The church is where our gifts should be utilized. 
Now, that doesn't mean you can't utilize them in the world. Yes, you can, as a testimony and in uh, bringing, trying to bring people to Christ. We use the gift that we have. Some people might say, well, I don't have the gift of speech for, for talking to somebody about Jesus. Well, you can hand them a track and say, please read this and let's talk about it sometime. But the whole idea there is that we are gifted by God and the gifts are to be used for his ministry in this dispensation, which is through the local church. That's the idea. And that is the idea, I think, that's given here in the fact that we, whether it's Jew or Gentile, we're all under the same dispensation of grace. We're all under the satisfaction, the propitiation of Jesus Christ, the justification that came to us through Jesus Christ. And God is, is forbear our sins because when we stand before God, he's going to see us through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful thought. So we will, we will continue on in chapter 4 next time, and that will explain what we just read in those last verses. Any other comments or thoughts? Doug. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and Doug gave us a good part of next week's lesson. So read that, because seriously, because the whole thing is going to be Abraham. And there's a, there's a purpose for that. He didn't go back to Moses and the law. He went back to Abraham. There's a reason for that. And the Jews didn't always like that either. Flora, you had your hand up. Yes, and it was a satisfaction. The curtain was tore because it was a satisfaction that we now have direct access to God. It's not through a high priest other than Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our high priest. He is the, he is the one that stands in our place before God. Just like the high priest went into the Holy of Holies for that purpose for the whole nation of Israel. Jesus now is our high priest. So the curtain was rent, it was tore. God's wrath was satisfied. Oh, it's just a, it gives me the chillies, chillies and willies every time I, I think about that. Yeah, Mike. Yeah, yeah, and that, that, that's a sad commentary when you think about it, because they knew the law, but they didn't identify 
God's revelation in Jesus Christ. Many of the common people did, but the leadership didn't. And you just think about it. If the leadership had identified that, and some did, like uh, um, um, Joseph, uh, and uh, who's the Pharisee? Thank you, Nicodemus. And, and some of these did and identified that. But, you know, when that happened, what do you think happened to the Sadducees and the Pharisees and, the, and all these, <laughs> these people who have been involved with the worship of Israel and the rule of Israel? They all lost their jobs. Money drives a lot of things. And greed and money was... Uh, uh, to me, it was, was a relevant issue at that time. Well, thank you. It's quarter after exactly, so we'll, uh, we'll get out on time. Thank you very much.